Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. As you're probably aware, we've taken a couple of months off, but we are back, and we're here with a very exciting new episode, and I think it's going to be a really great way to start the season. Not long ago over on Dread Central, we published a news article about a potential upcoming series adaptation of 13 Ghosts, and everyone seemed to freak out. Everyone was really excited about it, and this article went super viral, and Yahoo picked it up, and all of these other outlets got in on it, and um, I was just really psyched when the creators behind this pitch for the 13 Ghosts of the Series checked in and said, hey, do we want to chat on the podcast? So today, I am joined by creators Aaron McLean, Ashley Robinson, and Patrick Mediate. Great. I'm so excited you guys are joining me for an episode of Development Hell today, and I'm really psyched to sort of pick your brains about your pitch for a 13 Ghosts series and to talk about this franchise in total because I don't know if you're all aware, I am a huge 13 Ghosts, like, nerd. So this is very <laughs> auspicious that, like, we all came together like this, at least for me. I'm also a You big... don't even know the half of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I can imagine that, but I want to learn the half of it today. So <laughs> I'm also a big Dark Castle fan, and I'd love to dig into that with you guys, too. But before we get too deep into the project, I kind of want to learn a little bit about more who you guys are. So maybe we can sort of go one by one and just get a sense of what your role on this project is, what kind of work you do, and you know, what you're up to these days. Aaron McLean, maybe we can start with you. Oh, thank you. Um, well, my name's Aaron McLean. Uh, I've been a VFX supervisor for over 10 years at this point. Um, I guess my biggest show is uh, The Walking Dead. I did The Walking Dead for the final four seasons. I came on in season nine and uh, finished up with season 11. Um, it was just, it was a dream job. I got to I got to come up with ways to kill zombies every day, work with legends, and do some stuff that I'm really proud of. And... Um, then I did Fear the Walking Dead. That's where I met Ashley. Yeah. Uh, Pat and I went to college together, actually. I went to Emerson College, and um, we were friends then. We worked on some projects together. And, and um, you know, I just I love visual effects, but I'm also a huge practical effects nerd. Like, I love the old school stuff. And my approach to digital effects is from the basis of a good foundation in practical. So it's like, if you have something good that's real, we can make it look better 
with digital enhancements, like make that your icing, not your cake. And a lot of times that's, that's the best approach is find out where you can fill in the gaps. Um, because we still just all love that eighties horror vibe. And, um, when I met Ashley, uh, at a, at a visual effects society slash women in film event, um, we, we were on the show together, but like, we didn't know each other yet. It'd been like two weeks in to the project and, and we were like, Oh, just chatting, chit chatting. And she brought up that she loves 13 ghosts. I was like, 13 ghosts is rad. And she's like, I want to make it a TV show. I was like, who you have writing it. And she's like, nobody. I was like, you do now, you do now. <laughs> and called up Pat that night, at 11, like 11 o'clock at night. And I was just like, dude, we got to do this. We got to do this. And that's, I believe that my was, response was hell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how it started. But I, you know, and I, I've been, I've been doing, I worked on scream MTV scream TV series. I was the VFX supervisor for that. Nice. I did ghosted. I've done, um, vampire diaries uh i've done a, just a i've been i've been, in, I've been doing genre and industry stuff for over 10 years now since since i got out here so it's it's you know it's a dream job and a project like this is just the dream type of project but i i'm mm-hmm. pat and i are we've been writing together for a while now and we just want to we just want to get out there and, and help tell stories the way we see them needing to be told and tell them in mm-hmm. a way that um we'd want to watch are you responsible mm-hmm. for the boyfriend getting sawed in half in the scream tv show was that you I did the flies. I animated the flies coming through. I didn't do that, but I did the flies. So, so very and, good. And there's a shot where they pull through his split body, oh, yeah. and I did oh, the yeah. slime. I did the slime and the flies flying around him. Um, I did do the the boy, the other boyfriend that gets cut with the scythe at the beginning of mm-hmm. season two, mm-hmm. and his guts spill out. I did that. Sick. It's wow. so sad how far MTV has fallen because that was such a good TV show. Oh, it Thank was you. really good. Underrated, a hundred percent. Um, so when he shows up as a ghost and his head splits open, I did that. That's cool. that was one of my first CG shots I ever did for a television show. Like a hundred percent, like built the built the body and the head flipping open. It was really cool. So before wow. Aaron was, let me just reference this. Before Aaron was the star VFX dude that he is and uh, where he is now, he started in his humble beginnings, like he said, with us at Emerson College. And I will say, I think Aaron, you my film at Emerson, the horror film, was one of the first like special effects, practical effects, things you probably did back in the day, like one of the great 16 millimeter things, which is really yeah. fun to say, this guy did my stuff and we reconnected and now Whoa, we're full know, circle. Doing big things. Full yeah. circle. I love full, that. Full Very circle. Cool. And um, Ashley Robinson, how about you? Like, where'd you get your start? So I started making films in high school. I'm one of the kiddos that have actually wanted to do this for all of my life. And um, people have been supporting me throughout ever since. Got to go to film school at UT, which shout out to the UTLA program. It's a fantastic program if you're a filmmaker. And UT really does support young filmmakers in a way that is um, great for someone who can afford red cameras. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> students can't. Uh, but I um, went to LA for a bit, came back to Texas and got on um, some work out here in Austin. And then Fear the Walking Dead came in. Uh, my first interview was with uh, Gail Ann Hurd. Did not know it was her I was interviewing with until I walked into the office. And she kind of changed my life. Um, and if you don't know anything about that woman, she's a badass, um, has done everything. And it's kind of cool that my tutelage for producing was under her, you know, kind of umbrella. And um, I also had to serve as a second assistant for Michael E. Satrazemus. Um, I'm directing my first round of shorts this summer because uh, I got the bug, um, if we can make enough money. <laughs> and I was on fear when it came to Texas, um, got to move up in the ranks, um, got to work as a, a story producer, a creative producer, which I absolutely love. And I mean, shout out to Savannah Women in Film and Television, because it's actually the reason why this whole thing is coming together. Because as Erin mentioned, we had just met on set since we moved to Savannah um, from Austin. So I was just getting to know people and new folks. And Erin actually came in a little later because we had someone else working on. And uh, I just noticed him, said hi. We just got to chatting and we actually started talking about this. And quite honestly, the way that this kind of folded together, it's like... 
I met these dudes in, you know, a tree house when we're eight years old. And we've been telling <laughs> stories together ever since. It Ashley, is tell, them, tell them what you called us. You coined the three of us. Oh, the Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters. Ghost <laughs> I love yeah. that. Um, I feel like we're... You, it's it's so crazy how we came together and immediately like our first meeting to talk about this i think it was like three or four hours long oh, um, easily. yeah and it was the first time i actually met patrick this was like the second long conversation with aaron um we're all major fans of 13 ghosts and um it just came together so symbiotically i mean it could be venom and um that guy he overtook one time. <laughs> <laughs> i love that okay and patrick um, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are? Sure. Yeah, I come from the producing world. So I've been a producer or in the producing development space for 15 years plus. Um, I actually did some Broadway for a while, uh, some commercial content, all of that stuff. So that's kind of my like bread and butter. And um, I actually was able to get my producers guild card a few years ago. It was probably four years ago now. So I've been in the guild for a while. Um I, you know, I'm, I've been also a big horror nut, so I've always found a way, try to find a way to put my producing, you know, prowess in my horror obsession together, right? So, I mean, I was introduced to 13 Ghosts as a, as a, by my father as a kid, the original 13 Ghosts, and it, it just scared me to death at the time. It was one of those movies that really impacted me. Um, so, you know, throughout my life, it always sort of was this guide for me, the 13 Ghost universe, and it is very strange that this kind of came about because I really thought, like I said, I thought this was was very much fate driven um, that this happened then and everybody got together and I have to know Aaron. It all came together. The universe was conspiring. Um, so, you know, going from producing horror lover to, you know, screenwriter um, and then Aaron and I got together, like he said. We um, we formed our production company, Primordial Pictures, um, to tell incredible stories uh, f from the conception of an idea, right? From the that birth of an idea through um, you know through through cementing it and then ma making it grow into something that's like extraordinary, right? And then we formed that, and then we started writing scripts together, and we partnered, and uh, then Ashley joined the gang, and we became the Ghostbusters. The end. Um, and that's how all the great things happened. Um, so yeah, we, Aaron and I, again, have been, had been working together, um, for years before this, we had penned, uh, some features, some shorts, we had gotten some things into, you know, pre-development stages, buzzy stages. And, um, this was our opportunity to add another, you know, leg to the tripod and, and really go for it and, mm -hmm. and do something really big. My first question is going to go back to you, Patrick. And it's, you know, a lot of people might not even be aware that there was an original film, do you want to like maybe give our audience just a little bit of information on like what that film was like and how maybe it compares to the remake? Yeah, absolutely. So the original film was a William Castle film. So hence Dark Castle, right? You know, you've got the the name in the production company name. Uh, William Castle was a bit of a, of a, I guess the word of sort of a huckster or like a, he was, he really loved the gimmick, right? Mm -hmm. um, in film specifically. And that comes through just a little bit, you know, going to the future in those early 2000s films like House on Haunted Hill and the Dark Castle films, where there are characters that actually embody who William Castle was. Um, in speaking with Dark Castle and Ethan Irwin over there, it was very much evident that the character that's the, you know, the head honcho guy that gets everyone into the house in the House on Haunted Hill remake was William Castle. So if you've seen the House on Haunted Hill remake, that's pretty much what like William Castle's persona was. He, he was sort of like a carnival guy who liked to get people into the films and, and then shock them, right, with something big. Um, so the original 13 Ghosts, black and white film 60s um, he used that gimmick within the film to make it stand out so in the film it's very much like the remake in ways because you've got the family and then they're falling on hard times and they inherit the home they come into the home and then they realize the, the home is haunted by a bunch of ghosts and they are able to only see these, you're only able to see these ghosts if you put on these special ghost viewers. And that was like William Castle's gimmick. You put on the viewers, if you look through the, I, I want, I'm going to get the colors wrong, but I think if you look through the red one, you see the ghosts. If you look through the blue one, you don't see the ghost. It could be reversed. Um, 
but these are really kind of, they handed them out in the theater and you can do that. And even today in, in home video, you can get one of these viewers and actually see the ghosts on the screen or not see them if you're too scared to see them. So it was part of that integrated experience of 13 Ghosts. And I think that's really what defined that film um, against other films of the time that were coming out that were paranormal films. That was like the defining moment. So um, you've got that. And then you've got the remake all the years later where they kind of did away with the gimmick as a audience participation thing and then included the gimmick in the goggles that um, are used throughout where they can see the ghosts if they put the goggles on. And then if they take the goggles off, they can't see the ghosts. So it kind of goes with the audience POV in that way. But, um, you know, minus the gimmick. Um, I think I've explained sort of like the through line there. Um, and while I'm on that topic, just to key it up and we'll get back to it is that that gimmick that a William Castle originally used, we proposed that for the, the new series, which I'm sure we'll get into, but that's kind of the through line of that evolution in in our mind, at least. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about that part of it. Um, And for now, Ashley, I'm going to jump to you in your words. Like what is this franchise about? Like what about this franchise, you know, makes you excited? I think, just thinking back to when I first saw the remake, because uh, I saw the remake before the original, what really grabbed me is the aesthetic of the ghosts. I was so enraptured by how meticulously they looked and how scary they were and frightening that I just wanted to learn more. I don't know how many times I burned through that DVD watching the featurettes on each of them, but it had to at least been over 10 times. And I think that's what's the appeal for the remake, Um, especially for right now when we're mining through all this IP from the early 2000s for stories they want to tell again. Um, The idea idea for this, um, I approached it with Aaron, was because I had just watched the 2022 version of Hellraiser. And it just, like, maybe the story wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be, but it looked fantastic. And they really did a good job of elevating what we loved about Hellraiser and providing something new. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a really interesting opportunity to do that with this story specifically as a series, because with the remake and the original, we just didn't get enough. Like I wanted to learn more about the families in both universes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn more about how these ghosts are poltergeisting them. Mm. I want to learn more about what happened to them afterward because we really don't get those answers in either of them. So we have a really unique opportunity to not only retell this story in a little more detailed and nuanced way, but carry it on further if we are allowed to do so. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was obsessed with the remake when I was a kid. And I remember when the DVD came out, it was like they did a really spectacular job of sort of having each of the ghosts stories as some of the extra features. And this like really blew the minds of me and like my whole generation. And I kind of miss when DVDs were, you know, more creative like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was always sort of in the back of my mind. But Aaron, I'm wondering, do you remember what your first encounter with this franchise was like? I saw the remake in in the theater uh, in high school, you know, with my friends and we all went and I think we all just like, yeah, that was fine. That was fun. That was cool. That was exciting. I, I don't think it blew me away immediately. And it wasn't until college when I really started appreciating like horror. The first time I ever saw, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddie, I was like, that's it. That's what people were scared of. That, that, <laughs> what, what the heck? Yeah. But then, like, when I started to study film and study things, it's like, I love the camp of it. I loved how fun it was. I love I love the fun of being scared. I love the, um, the gimmicks that came along with it. And then in college, when you revisit, you know, the 2001 13 Ghosts, you're like, this is so fun. And this was having the best time making the weirdest movie that in parts makes no sense, but at the same time is just <laughs> wonderful for that very reason. Like, who who makes a glass house and says, well, let's shoot in it. That's like, that's a bonkers <laughs> idea. And they did it. And it's great. But like, that's part of the charm of the movie. And there was so much going, you know, you have this, this classic Matthew Lillard, who is just such a great character actor in his own right, who is like that era to a T like scream and this, and then getting to be in Scooby-Doo later. Like <laughs> I, 
love me some Lillard and his his just specific style is so great. So he's a fun character in this movie. I mean, Tony Shalhoub, come on. So I, I in college is when I was like, that is really fun. That is so fun. And of course, when you get the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever, and you're like, where's all this? Look at all this amazing backstage content that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of this, please. And that's that's really, you know, that's the revisit. And then I got to revisit the original you know, when I was out of college, I went back and checked out the original a little bit later. And it was like, oh, look at the DNA here, the DNA from this. To this. Yeah. And, and a movie I want to bring up is, is a great reference to this era of movies that had gimmicks tied to them is called Matinee. Um, John mm-hmm. Goodman's in it. And it is full of these gimmicks. And if you want another good movie for that, Popcorn, which is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Popcorn is a movie where a killer goes to a uh, like a, a horror-thon that has all these gimmicks and starts killing people with the gimmicks, which is so great. great. Like it's such a great sm- movie. Smell of vision, like movie. chokes you to death. And like the shocker, like kills somebody like it's great. It's great. Yeah, that's Man, awesome. I haven't thought about popcorn in a long time. <laughs> it has such a good poster too. Classic. Um, oh, it's so good. There's some amazing characters, especially in the remake. In my opinion, I was actually just watching it today. And yeah, Matthew is so good in it. He's just like acting his ass off. And then it kind of doesn't make um, Shannon Elizabeth look as good next to him, but they're just all so fun to watch. Patrick, I'm wondering, like, who do you think are like the really important characters in that version? And are any of those archetypes going to transfer to your new project? So it, I think I think the better way to answer that question is who aren't represented um, f- fully enough in the remake of 13 ghosts. Right. I, I think the characters that are in it, right. Are of course the focus is on the Tony Shalhoub character of Arthur, right. He's, he's really the focal point. Um, he loses, you know, his wife to a fire. He's, he's really sort of the main character in the film and we follow him, um, and his family. So they're really the main focal point of the remake. Now, I, I'm trying to see how not, not that's getting too much here, but I thought the the biggest character that was unrepresented in that remake was Cyrus. I mean, Cyrus, um, Cyrus is is so it's so important to understand what Cyrus is to me at least, and I think to Aaron and Ashley as well. Obviously, we teamed up to do this, but um, that he is represented, and we understand like how did he do what he did right why and what inspired him to build to build this basilius machine and build this you know compound and you know why did he do it how did he figure out how to do it um you know what was his inspirations so i think like he to me is the heart and soul of this of the picture of the series um and we so much so that we wrote the pitch deck in the voice of Cyrus. So we decided to cleverly um, pitch it in um, in making that a journal. So the deck was Cyrus's journal and it outlined all of, you know, all of the different ins and outs of the story through his um, journal exposition, which was really fun and, and Dark Castle really got a kick out of as well. Um, but I think the answer to, to the, your question would be, um, be that. And, and I, I definitely think Cyrus is underrepresented um, and we're going to fix that in the in the series. Yeah, what a fun character. When you said Cyrus, they can't see us on the podcast, but everyone was just nodding. Like, yep, that's yeah. the one. Every every single person. And everybody, <laughs> I think, is asking the same things. Where did he where did he get this idea? What inspired him to do this? And unfortunately, the um and for, unfortunately for the film, for the remake, but fortunately for us, the remake has a lot of unanswered questions. But in <laughs> those unanswered questions, um, it provided the ideas for the series, which is obviously more long form. Um, you can delve in a bit more, but if we didn't have those unanswered questions, we we wouldn't be able to create something fresh, I think, in the series, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun for us. And it may just be because I'm gay, but I choose to believe that Cyrus is queer coded to some degree because he's like has that kind of specific gay evil that, you know, I just love so much. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean. Kind of like That's where Abraham was definitely playing it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so something that's on my mind, because I just like, this is something that I think about all the time, is <laughs> the ghosts themselves. They're so fascinating. They're, the archetypes here are so cool. And like, I just want to have playing cards of all of them. And I kind of like want to go through them quickly. But I'm curious for all of you, who's your favorite of the 13 ghosts, at least from the remake 
can I, can we dig into that? Do you like guys need a little bit to think or can we jump into I kind of know mine. Aaron, Aaron, why don't you kick I it got, off? I, I got mine. It, can I kick it off? If that's yeah. Okay? yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite is the jackal. Like he's an arresting visual. Like he, you got the cage on the head with the with the broken out front and the straight jacket that's all mangled out. And that is, I mean, it's from an era of, of just sheer torture, and it's terrifying. And his look is terrifying, and the design is great. And that still, like, some of the images of the jackal is like that's haunting to this day. It's scary. <laughs> it's so scary. It's so and scary. I, that I, the jackal was really underused in the um, in the movie. He he popped up and was terrifying, and certainly had some great scares. But like, because you only have an hour to tell that story, like all those ghosts at the end of the day, you're like, none of them really had. They they were interchangeable to an extent. They're there for a scare, and then and then it's over. But mm-hmm. but the, the 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 visuals I think they provide are always fantastic. Jackal definitely was my, what my they, favorite. What do they they describe him as like the harbinger of hell's winter or something gorgeous <laughs> like that? And I, <laughs> that's some Game of Thrones stuff that I love. <laughs> Wait, do, Aaron, do you think you do you know like like who is the jackal? Like, do you have any of the like DVD background info for us? Um, here's what I got. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did some some into the DVD. Research. I have a I have a whole like website mm-hmm. that had like their the fandom uh, website like a mental institution fire or something wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, like, um, thought, he, he got burned in an institution <laughs> and locked up and then he got the whole institution burned down and he was in there I didn't realize it was yeah. a guy I like didn't I didn't pick up on gender from his the name general. was I forget his name what they named him but let's see uh the the time the jackal the ghost of ryan coon and ryan coon that's right and the 11th ghost featured in the black zodiac born to a prostitute at some point in the year 1887 grew up to develop a sick insatiable and uncontrollable taste for women as a result he became a wild and cunning predator attacking and doing bad things murdering strays and prostitutes in the dead of night like a wild animal seeking treatment he committed himself to Bornwood Asylum where he eventually went insane. <laughs> he scratched at his cell's wall so violently that his fingernails were torn off completely, making his hands claw-like. When Ryan attacked a nurse, the doctors decided to put him in a straitjacket and tightened it whenever he acted out, contorting his limbs horribly. However, Ryan gnawed through it, so the doctors locked Ryan's head in a cage. And they locked him in a dark basement cell where he grew to hate any human contact. You know, horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> stuff. Fire breaks out. Asylum burns Fire, down. Everyone else but him escapes. Wow. Okay. Of course. And that was a great, a great performance. Okay, Aaron, I request that you keep that page up so that when we give us our answers, you can act out those ones as well. If that's okay done with you. And done. Please Deal. do that. Please um, do that. Hold him to that, please. Yeah. 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 Okay, Ashley, I'm very curious who you are drawn to from this deck. Okay. So this is very morbid. Um, when I watched this movie for the first time, I was also learning about the numerous amount of lynchings in America which as a teenage black person, probably um, not the best Saturday night activities to go about. So for me, um, when I was watching the featurette, the obvious one that scared me the most was the hammer, um, who was, you know, this huge black guy who had nails all through his body. And in the featurette, I remember specifically, they were like, he wasn't a bad guy, but he was accused of theft by a white man. And this is what they did to him. (laughs) And also they murdered his family. And um, learning about that and just learning about Mississippi, just specifically Mississippi, um, kind of freaked me out for a few weeks uh, because it's like, how far off from history is that? It's not that far off. Mm -hmm. So like physically, it's, I feel like uh, he was one of the most like defined ghosts. I know that... um, also in the feature, they talked about how long that uh, the actor was in the chair for that one, because it's it's just so iconic. Um, like it's beautifully well crafted makeup effects art, um, along with visual effects work to make him look so domineering and scary. But then his backstory was even scarier to me. So that's the one I that stuck with me the longest, to be honest. Yeah, he was featured predominantly a great ghost um i am curious arian what what they describe his backstory as george Action. mark 
George, George Markley was an honest, hardworking blacksmith until a racist man named Nathan wrongfully accused George of theft and Nathan. threatened to banish him from the town they lived in. Knowing he was innocent, George stood up to Nathan and refused to move, causing Nathan and his gang to one day beat George's wife and children to death to send him the cruel message to move or else he would suffer the same fate as his family. Enraged, George tracked down Nathan and his friends and brutally beat them to death with his sledgehammer. But when the down town discovered what George had done, they dragged him back to his shop where they tied him to a tree and drove railroad spikes into his body with his own sledgehammer, slowly Ouch. killing him. Then, it's as a finishing touch, the sadistically racist townsfolk <laughs> cut off George's hand and fixed George's sledgehammer in its place. Oh. I mean that's it's really messed up. I mean that I is a really that last part. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I remember that. That kind of rings. Why I stopped it kind of gives me Candyman, where they cut off his hand. And oh put yeah. The Do you think that's an, like a purposeful homage or no? I think it's very hard to discuss black horror without discussing slavery and racism. Mm -hmm. So it's also kind of like a conversation: how far we've come and how far we haven't. Like from that to get out, because it's. And to blackening, which is actually kind of fun and a different kind of vibe than what we're used to. So I think it's very interesting. There's a lot of work to do because I feel like black horror can also just be slasher, nasty, like evil people without, you know, the threat of racism looming in the background somewhere. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I I, it, I do think, though, to, to your point, Josh, and, and, and what you were saying, Ashley, that it's hard not to draw the Candyman and, like, Pinhead references to mm -hmm. to the hammer. Because, like, all the spikes and stuff, but, I mean, man, it's unforgettable. Mm. Really scary. Um, would love to know more about him one day. Um, and Patrick, very curious, which of these ghosts speak to you? Well, I'm going to throw everyone for a loop and I'm going to say the torso because I, as a child, was absolutely terrified by a, an actor in a movie called Freaks. I don't know if you've seen the Todd Browning film. Um, it's uh, it's it's really kind of scary. Um, but this character, his name was Johnny Eck in real life. He walked on his hands and the first time I saw that in the film and they're around this campfire in the scene, it's probably like two minutes into the movie. He just gets up from his like spot on a log and he just runs around the campfire on his hands, no legs or anything. Um, and it was the most terrifying thing I had ever seen because of just the way the movement was and the way he, how fast he was going. And the torso really reminds me of Johnny Eck from that film. Um, because he's just doesn't have any limbs and he kind of crawls around and he has the, he's been, all of his stuff has been chopped up. Plus I like, like the, and I believe Aaron, the story of the torso in the, where you're reading it, which you'll, I uh, hopefully you'll read in just a second is mafia related. Like he, he gets involved with gambling or something and he has to pay his debts and all of that. I, I believe, I don't know if the, don't, don't, you know, don't yes, uh, you're quote me on that, but yeah, I like the story behind the torso as well. I like how he falls into the into those uh, into that trap of of actually losing his bodily parts. He's so scary, so scary. Okay, Aaron, you you know what to do. You're on, Aaron. <laughs> Jimmy, the gambler Gambino, was obsessed with gambling. He would spend his days at the track instead of at school, and his nights gambling in seedy bars. Jimmy eventually opened his own booking business, though he barely was able to make his payoffs because of his compulsive gambling, and he quickly developed a reputation due to his refusal to turn down a bet. Jimmy's inability to turn down a bet eventually caught the attention of mobster and made man Larry Finger Vitello, who bet heftily on a boxing match. Jimmy agreed and sealed his fate. When Jimmy's fighter was defeated, he fainted. And when Jimmy awakened, Larry and his gang arrived to collect Larry's winnings from Jimmy. But because Jimmy was so cleaned out, instead, they cut Jimmy's body up, wrapped the pieces in cellophane, and dumped them in the ocean. Yikes. I love it. Don't. And then now, we're, spoiler alert, we're going to turn all of these characters on their heads in the remake, and you know nobody's going to be like the original, so I'll let you know on that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, always have, we'll always have 2001. Um, and if it's... <laughs> 
if it's okay, that is we will. a word. We will. Um, and if yeah, it's okay with you good. guys, can I can I give you mine? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, now she might have not been treated with complete respect in 2001 remake, but I have to say I am a fan of the Angry Princess. Um, fascinated by her, you know gay icon she's a diva i want to know why she's doing what she's doing um she probably could have been treated with a little bit more dignity but the fact that she wasn't is fascinating as well and she has some like really like moody scenes like the scene between her and shannon elizabeth is crazy It still really creeps me one. out to this day. Like yeah. when she's splashing the water on her face. Yeah. And she's kind of like, why are you doing that? Yeah, That's she gross. seems scared. She seems like she's the only one that kind of like seems vulnerable sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, cool. And she's just the best. So um, something I, I wanted to say about that is, is it is super wild when you have somebody who, you know, she's naked in the entire movie, um, which to most humans is an incredibly vulnerable state. It's, it's, you know, at the base level, you have no armor, you know, anything could affect you and, and it's very vulnerable, but she's so aggressive and violent. And mm-hmm. that's, that's such a, a, a strange twist on that something. So we see it, you know, as an audience, you see it and, and that kind of um, bizarre dichotomy of, of aggression while still being so vulnerable is, is scary. I mean, that's it's why cool. it works. And we don't have enough like iconic, like lady monsters or like lady villains, like very few of them, in fact. Yeah. So I'm I'm drawn to them whenever we get them. Yeah, I feel like the the lady monsters were really when we think about the 2001 version, we just don't we get her, but that's because her tits are out. Hundred percent, yes. <laughs> it's we don't get really much. If we get you know the bound woman shaking a lot, which I thought was interesting, she and then cool. we maybe see the mother a few times. I was gonna say mother erasure because she's scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. And then some of the other ones, I feel like uh, they really let down on the backstories a little bit. Like mm-hmm. uh, for me, the dire mother and the great son was a chance to really give more, and they didn't really give more to her character. They didn't really give us much. The kid, or the pilgrimess. Yeah. yeah, the pilgrimess really gets the shaft, I think, out of all yeah, of them. Yeah, she, she's a witch. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what? Like, what is she up to? She's just, and she looks uncomfortable. Okay, wait, Aaron. Time to know. read? I have to know more. Dana Newman was an incredibly beautiful, was, in, I'm going to start that over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dana Newman was incredibly beautiful in life. According to Cyrus, she had the natural looks of a goddess, but was unable to recognize her beauty. Her self-loathing and low self-esteem from which doctors tried to save her was only fueled by a series of abusive boyfriends and led her to having breast implants, nose jobs, and other unnecessary procedures. One night, while Dana was alone in a clinic where she worked, she tried to perform surgery on herself due to an imaginary imperfection on her face, but the unorthodox procedure went horribly awry and left her blinded in one eye. She then gave up on her beauty and committed suicide in her bathtub by slashing herself with a butcher's knife until she bled to death. When her body was discovered, she was described by her loved ones as being beautiful in death as she was in life. Okay. I'm not sure if this movie passes the Bechdel test, but I do think (laughs) your series will. And that's very good. The Um, only part is at the end when Roddick is like, I'm not working for y'all no more. (laughs) She has so many amazing lines. I I caught a line that she had this time that I had always gone over my head. And when the lawyer's like dead, but no one knows, she's like, where'd the lawyer split off to? And the lawyer had been split in half. That's too smart of a joke for this movie. Womp womp. It has some really golden nuggets. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Um, Okay, so this is kind of what we are, have all been waiting for, is I want to dig a little bit into your project and how it all came about. And I just want to get as much info from you guys as you're willing to provide. And um, yeah, so I guess my first question is like, how did this start? I know you kind of mentioned it earlier, but like, where did this journey begin? And anyone can jump in for this. Throw to Ashley for this. I'll, I'll start with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, we were in Savannah filming our last season of Fear the Walking Dead. 
And um, the new Hellraiser I come out, uh, just for anybody who ever sees my show socials, I love to do a 31 recommendations for the 31 days of October, which is fun. So I'll be doing another one this year. So I needed to watch Hellraiser. And it was just, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, the next thing that I wanted to watch was 13 Ghosts. This is probably like my 18th time watching it. And I just was really what like really dissecting what I was missing from this. And ironically enough, maybe like a week or so after that, um, again, shout out to Savannah Women in Film and Television. They were having an industry event for um, the Savannah Film Festival. I met up with Aaron because there were a few visual effects supervisors that you were there with. Yeah, VES was a joint thing with that, the Visual Effects Society, and it's like the one event I ever went to for it. And I was like, let's do that. Sure, why not? We're both like somebody I know. And then we kind of just sat down and started talking, and I brought up to him what I had been doing over the last week. And I was like, I'm thinking of developing 13 Ghosts as a television series. Because we started talking about horror, our general love that we both have for it, um, and we were just kind of like developing a friend, like a friendship, which is so awesome. And so I mentioned it to him and I was, and he mentioned that he has a writing partner. He introduced me to Patrick. And then we, like I said, we literally had like a four hour meeting the first time we all three sat down together to kind of talk about how this could start and where it could go, what kind of details we would like to pull from the original and the remake and, how we can make this unique our own and for 2020 plus because who knows what year that'll come out so <laughs> okay very cool how did you guys get connected with dark castle who seems to sort of be in support of this project oh my god this is the best story ever aaron do you want to <laughs> um obviously yeah take this? so we you know we've been very lucky but like we hit the ground just call up everybody you know like literally just call everybody, you know, and just tell them what you're doing and what you're looking for. Like anything you want in life, put it out there and see what happens. Cause you never know. And lay the groundwork first though. Cause I mean, we did a lot of, before we even got to that stage of like calling we were, everybody and their mother, we, Aaron and I, um, we really wanted to make sure, Hey, if we're, we're going to get one shot at this, yep. we have to put together the best package, an undeniable package with the most incredible 13 ghost series pitch proposal ever created that anyone can ever create. And I'm just building it up, but it is true. <laughs> so we put together a, a, an incredible deck um, and we went a little bit overboard. Aaron and I actually broke the entire season of the show. Um, all we spent episodes, all yeah. 13 episodes. We spent week, a couple weeks doing this. We broke the season and we're like, look, we have a season broken. We have an entire beautifully polished deck um we're we're gonna go guns blazing and find someone at dark castle resume aaron so we <laughs> we hit the pavement and we just knocked on every door called every phone and we found a couple people who knew uh the the executives at, at dark castle and so now it's trying hey make an introduction trying to do this trying to do that and one day we're sitting on set for fear of the walking dead and um our showrunner Ian Goldberg's there and um, we're just, just chit chatting. I sit, I sit behind them at video village while we're doing, you know, watching shots and making sure everything's going great. And I just bring up, Oh, Hey, you know, working on this thing. He's like, yeah, yeah. Ashley mentioned you work on this. And I was like, we're just trying to get in touch over at uh, dark castle. And he's like, Oh, I, I got that guy's email right here. Oh, you want me to, you want me to send out an email? And we're like, like now and he's like yeah yeah watch but you showed him the deck first let's tell it you know you showed him the deck before <laughs> he, he, saw I mean, the he deck. can just recommend the schlubs <laughs> like ah, oh, yeah whatever these guys but are great he saw the deck and was isn't was impressed he's like i want to see this show i want the, like can i see this because again we put a lot of work into the visual stylist thing and and you know after sending it around to a bunch of people that we trusted and trying to to find it you know, it was just a conversation that was so casual. And he's like, well, sent Bing. And then that afternoon we got a response back. It was like, sure, I'd love to talk to him. Let's set up a meeting. And a week later we were we were talking to Dark Castle and showing them the deck. And they were just like, you guys um, really put a lot of work into this, huh? They it was it was terrifying, amazing and beautiful. It was just a, it was just it was so good. It was I, so believe, good. I believe they also said um, 
which we were absolutely shocked and on the floor about. No one has come to us yet to pitch anything like this. We were talking about it around the office, you know, a couple of weeks yeah. ago and said, how how cool would that be to do a 13 Ghosts? And then along came you guys, but nobody's really come to knock on our door about it. And we're like, uh, we were just floored, you know, absolutely floored. And mind you, like from conception to, I think that was, was it September or October? It was somewhere around September or October. And then maybe when we got in touch with Dark Castle, it was around January. Um, yeah, so very quick. we hit the ground running. Yeah, we did. And then we pitched. So we pitched to Dark Castle. Um, again, they were blown away by everything that we proposed to them in our pitch. And they said, look, you know, from us, we you don't have to sell us anymore. I mean, we 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 green light this from our side, basically. Um, but I just want to let you guys know we don't have the full rights to this uh, series. So we we said, well, okay. I mean, that happens. Where are the rights? And they said, well, the other half of the rights are with Sony Pictures Television. And I mean, to us, we were said, okay, that's a little bit odd because Sony Pictures Television doesn't really do a lot of horror. If anybody's familiar with a lot of the things that they're they've been putting out there, but hey, um, you know, if that's where we got to go, that's where we got to go. So along with Dark Castle, um, we developed the pitch further, um, the ideas, the concepts, and and the actual pitch um, outline that we were full going to pitch. Full presentation. Full presentation. Yeah. Um, because mm -hmm. what they did was they said, okay, you know what? We're going to reach out to Sony, see if they want to, you know, hear our pitch and, and everything. And uh, lo and behold, um, you know, we're we're in that zone. I mean, this is talk. We're talking like right before strike. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think yeah. maybe even a two, maybe a two week period before the strike started. Yeah, a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. And that, and we, we were in, we were in like pitch development with them. What guys for like three weeks, four weeks, something like that. It was like a two or it was like three weeks or so, I think but until, it, cause it was a long way out before as the time they got the, you know, it's like a long way out that we were developing this thing before the strike hit. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, but I mean, we got in the door at Sony with it, which was great, yeah. you know, fantastic. Well, I think you made a smart choice because, yes, things have sort of paused because of the strike. And then you came to Dread Central and you offered this <laughs> amazing exclusive to us that we were very excited to take on, not knowing exactly what the public response was going to be. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, like, what was it like after the story came out? Like, what what was the fan response? We've broken the horror internet. We've broken the horror sphere. <laughs> It's it's going crazy. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, we saw your the uh, Dread Central article post, and then it completely blew up. And we saw our you know our names and our collaboration and our slides all over the horror publications, and mm -hmm. uh, it was absolutely wild. And not only did we see them all out, you know, in the public, but we decided, hey, like we're going to look at the comments, see what people are saying, and thousands upon hundreds of thousands of comments yep. from fa horror fans, from 13 ghost fans, from fans that I don't even know or like horror were saying, mm -hmm. I absolutely want to see something like this and not just a 13 ghost series. They were all excited because I think this was in like stirring in, in the ether, right? They, everybody kind of wanted this 13 ghost series, which kind of emerged. Not only did they want the series, but they liked this concept. Mm -hmm. They saw our slides that you shared with them. Um, uh, and they just they they were drawn to the way it was presented. They said this isn't just about having a, a, a you know a, a remake of something or a series. This is the way to do it, and we really like the way you're gonna go about doing it. And we're on we're behind you. So right now the whole, whole horror sphere is sort of like has our back, which is really great. It was really cool to see. You know, every once in a while a story will sort of spiral like that, but it doesn't happen often. So I was really psyched to see it, but I guess ultimately not surprised because this lends itself to a series so well. And people love this story. Like fans mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. can't get enough of it. And I think you guys are really, really onto something. And speaking of that, I'm really curious about the AR component. And I'm wondering if we could dig into that a little bit now and like yeah. what that would look like. For sure. Uh, Aaron, do you want to take that one? Yeah. So, you know, the, the the AR technology has, has just exploded. You know, AR wine bottles, uh, when I first saw that, it blew my mind. And I was like, what can we do with that? What can we do with this idea? And, you know, AR book covers, AR album covers, but something that you can point your phone at and, and, and you see images appear through your phone. 
And in the realm of, of William Castle, that is so right up that alley. That mm-hmm. is so right up in that world. And the development of it would be, you know, th- there's a lot to figure out what, what form that takes. But in my mind, it's it's an AR component that by looking at your TV, you get extra pieces to the story. And then when you can then use that app to go out in your house and see ghosts. And there are apps that are like this, but this would be tailored to this genre, to this brand, and just be a really fun way to include the audience in on just a classic gimmick. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is. It's like the fun and the presentation and the William Castle, like legacy continues of let's have fun with the movies guys. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be sit here and watch. You can be involved. You can be a part of it. It's, it's a showman. It's a showman thing. And I think there's just a huge room for this to be developed. And uh, we have the technology. Let's just figure out how to do something really fun and cool with it. And creepy too. Like not only could they see the ghosts on the screen that they can't see without the app, but they can also see the ghosts that have come into their own homes, which when we proposed that and the articles and all the news came out, folks were like, hell no, if a ghost come in my house, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run into the next room, lock myself and and just hide (laughs) under the covers. But like, I think that's the reaction we were trying to get, right? The technology is there. We can do that. We want to like viscerally also try to scare people like William Castle did. We want to put the stinger under the seat. And if folks aren't going into the movie theater, we want to bring, you know, that into one of the things they use on a daily basis, which is everybody's tied to their phones. And, you know, they're going to use something that's as easy as hitting an app, open it, open up the special ghost, you know, viewer app and seeing, seeing ghosts all over the place and getting, scaring the crap out of them. And who knows, maybe you'll unlock something between this world and the next that Mm -hmm. is irreversible. Mm -hmm. Hard to say. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious about, you know, the tone of the show and the story of the show. Is there anything that you want to share about, you know, what is it going to be about and how will it be different from what we've seen before? I think we can kind of talk about like how we already discussed that the pitch was in Cyrus's perspective. And that's something we'd like to respect for the episodes that we would like to make for this TV series. Cyrus is a very fascinating character from what we've already seen from the original and the remake. And we would be remiss to not explore that. Like, as we mentioned earlier, there's so many questions about him. Where does he get his money? Like, where, why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. Who thinks of spraying a junkyard with blood to attract the undead? It, there's just so much to play with. Um, so I feel like um, we wouldn't be letting too much out there by saying that's something we would like to explore further, for sure. Guys, can and- we talk about the structure, uh, Ashley, you think? Like like the actual episode to episode, uh, you know, this is like a group huddle here. Um, if we want to talk anything about like how, how like the, the broad structure of the intertwining narratives that we, that we propose. I think especially mentioning again, this is, this is on a timeout. I I think especially mentioning that, um, you know, we do delve in every episode focuses on a ghost. I think that's a really important thing to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, Yeah. Yeah. And, and as we shared, um, that's kind of around now is that each ghost is, is tied to like a, a cultural, um, reference of, of ghosts in cultures, right? So we embrace um, the different lore of different um, different cultures and tie the ghosts to that lore, um, which is already out there. But as far as the you know the the structure of each episode, um, we wanted to do something a little bit more unconventional, um, which you know we discussed with Dark Castle initially, and they're like, yeah, we're we're totally on board with this. This is really cool. At first they were like, okay, explain this to us a little bit more about how this is going to work and each, and each thing is going to interact. But um, essentially we have parallel narratives um, that explore Cyrus's journey. Um, they explore, you know, each episode, a ghost. Um, I don't want to go too much into the ghosts and, and such. And then the family. So you've got the, the three narrative through lines and then each of those narrative through lines will intertwine with one another and um and 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 they will connect with one another in 
absolutely actually uh, profound ways. I, I, that's all I can explain. That's how I can explain it. Right. Aaron, it's kind of like yeah. a little bit mind blowing how things intersect in kind of like a way that like a film like crash would intercept or, or a film that like where things are going on in different places, but like everything influences the other thing and kind of trickles down and there's reverberations and, you know, um, causal effect sort of, sort of situations. But like, that's, that's the general structure that we, we propose that that's sort of riding right now. That's really getting a lot of, steam i don't know if you saw like how go ahead sorry i was just i saw multiple fans saying that you should do 13 seasons and then everyone gets their own season and i wish yeah i wish they like there was like sure that's a lot we've got that many american the longest the longest show to ever you know to ever uh play on yeah yeah what were you gonna say aaron i wanted to say also like Though we are sort of expanding on all these ideas, uh, one of the things that's really key to this is is taking some of these cool ideas like the Zodiac, the Dark Zodiac and the Basilius Machine and expanding on that mythology, like mm-hmm. making it into real mythology that that works in the universe that we're creating. Like, that's a big idea, because in, in yeah. the 2001 movie, they're like, yeah, yeah, uh, Dark Zodiac. And you're like, what is that? And they're like. D- don't ask. Just and then there's a machine. It's so cool. It's just We're is anything more about the machine <laughs> designed by the devil and powered by the dead. It's so cool. <laughs> so, but that's all there. It's just, we're going to turn that into something that's real and something that's scary and something that's tangible. And then all the ghosts, again, we're staying true to what people love about it, but making it work for a television series and making it something that is bigger, you know, making it, just really expanded and every one of them has a story to tell and that that is just what makes this so exciting is even though we are expanding and growing it is all drawing from the 2001 remake and everything is true to that spirit and and i think because we are fans and because we love this so much uh, you know i i i am as as a fan excited to be (laughs) coming up with these ideas and working on but i think (laughs) When they, as we, as we're able to tell more eventually, and hopefully you guys get to see it, uh, you guys will be. I think the fans will be really excited and really like, yeah. like, yes, this is what needed to happen. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. and at the end of the series, uh, I think audiences will say, will 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 say, we went on a epic journey. I mean, on an epic scale in in this in the scope of like, and I to compare this to a classic like David Lean film, but in the scope of a Lawrence of Arabia or a movie that sends you on a journey, um, an epic journey where you start in one place and then by the end you're like, wow, I really, I really took a ride. I really got to know these characters. I really, you know, um, I, I, I just, I took a trip and, and I, and I'm at the end of this trip and I feel like I've just ridden the roller coaster. Right. And I feel like I've, I've traveled the earth right and back. So I, I think audiences will take away this epic feel from, from when that final episode ends. And then also, um, you know, a little, little spoiler, you know, we want to sort of try to wait, Hey, how can we continue the story? Um, after the first season, because you always got to have a hook for a for an afterlife, you know. Okay, you you, you beat me to the punch. That's where I was going to land. So I'm glad yeah. to hear that that's in the cards. Um, you guys, this was such a fascinating conversation. I feel so lucky that I got to bring you guys on today. Um, so thank you so much. And before I go, I'm just wondering if we could just hear maybe where we can find you online if you're willing to be found, and maybe we can start with you, Ashley. Uh, everybody can follow me on all socials at Ashapalooza, three O's. Um, all my upcoming work is posted on there. Um, and hopefully I'll have more for y'all soon. This is the big deal, though. This is the big one that we're <laughs> hoping lands because it would be very, very fun to create this with both of these two guys and with the team that we would like to bring from past work that we've done. Um, And I do just want to make a mention because we're talking about fate and destiny for this thing. There were a few like members who worked on the 2001 remake who worked with us on Fear the Walking Dead. And I've already talked with them and we're hoping we can just make this a reality, a full circle moment and something that is tangible soon. Wow. Aaron, how about you? Where can we find you? 
Um, my, I keep my socials pretty private, but uh, I do have a podcast. You can uh, check us out. We are the Launchpad Podcast, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, the Launchpad Podcast. Uh, we do a lot of nerd stuff, and it's really fun. We, we're, we're dropping all of our uh, San Diego Comic-Con content recently, which we did a, a panel with Ghostface. The Roger L. Jackson, the voice of Ghostface, did a trivia Damn, show cool. with us, and it was a blast. Um, so, yeah, check us out there, Launchpad Podcast. Uh Anywhere you listen to fine podcasts like this one. Awesome. And Patrick, how about you? I am on Twitter, uh, New York in June on Twitter. I have a podcast as well, Screenwriters Podcast. That's Screenwriters PC on Twitter. Um, it's a show where we discuss uh, the the art of uh, writing horror screenplays. And um, I, I think, you know, tune in because I, I think we'll probably talk a little bit more as this whole thing evolves on Screen Murders podcast. Um, it's a really fun show. We're on like the 57th episode. We're in the fourth season. We've had a lot of great guests. Um, I think uh, Mick Garris was a big one that we had in the last couple of years. So it's a really fun show. And uh, you can follow Aaron and I at Primordial um, Picks. We're Primordial Picks on most of the social nets. Um, because either primordial pictures was too long or something was taken. So check us out there. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.